0: Well, good morning. I am excited to be back with you all as we continue this series that we started last week. We start a brand new series called So All May Know. And maybe you can't quite read it below, but it says the story of redemption. And the story that we're following is that of Jesus from his resurrection... His ascension into heaven. So, that time when Jesus comes back to earth after his resurrection, and as he walks the earth, as he makes these appearances to his followers, to different people, before he ascends into heaven. So, we are following along that journey, and we're seeing how Jesus uh, portrays himself as he comes back, what he has to teach us in the story of redemption. And so we journeyed through that a little last week, looked at the resurrection again, and how the lies sought to be told about Jesus and his rising from the dead. And today we're going to continue by looking at another time when Jesus appears to those who follow him post his resurrection. But before we do, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for the chance to open up your word today. Lord, I thank you that you have sustained your word throughout the generations so that we may have it today. So that we may hear the truth of who you are proclaimed each and every week through the reading of your word. What a gift that is and what joy it should bring to our hearts. And so Lord, as we spend time in your word today, I pray that you would uh, just give us clarity to understand what you are saying. or that you would give us open ears and soft hearts. And that we would leave changed by your active and living word. And Lord, may nothing that I say get in the way of what you wish to declare. But may you speak through me as your servant. We pray us all in your name. Amen. Well, sometimes I'll find myself on YouTube having some time to waste. I don't know how I have any time to waste, but sometimes I do. And perhaps you've been there too, where you find yourself on YouTube and you're finding clips to watch throughout your evening or maybe during the day. Maybe you're retired and you have tons of time and you just get to watch YouTube clips all day long because there's an endless amount of clips on YouTube. But one of the clips that sometimes I've seen is this show called Undercover Boss. And maybe you're familiar with it, but the premise of it is that the boss of a company will put on a disguise and go undercover in his business. And he'll do this for a couple different reasons, or she will do this for a couple different reasons, to see how their business is operating, to see what the morale is like amongst the employees. If there's things that they need to change, if there's concerns from the employees that aren't being told to the boss, they can perhaps find out that way. Or are there employees that need to be highlighted or maybe employees that need to be terminated because they're not following protocol? And so they'll dress them up in a disguise so that people can't know what they look like, so that they can surprise them and go and work undercover and try to figure out what's going on in the company. So I want to start with a clip of one of these episodes. It's about a three minute clip that'll show us a boss going undercover in his little bakery. I believe the bakery is in an airport, and so it's a busy, active one. So go ahead and take a look at this clip with me.
1: We're all set. More change. What did you give me? Give gave you a 10. Elizabeth, I gave a customer the wrong change. It frazzled me because of how quickly you have to move to take care of our travelers. Elizabeth. Oh, oh. He gave me a ten. He's and, right. And, and He's you right. Said I you put in it five. 5. It's my okay. fault. I'm sorry about that.
2: Bobby is having trouble. And he screwed up. <laughs> you gotta learn to do it fast because they don't want to stand around.
1: Okay. I'll
2: take care of this. I have long lines. Sometimes clear all across the room. I had to learn to work fast. Thirteen ninety two is your change. Thank you, Thank you. ma'am. A mocha with whip. How you doing, Bobby?
1: I'm going as fast as I can, Elizabeth.
2: You're doing good.
1: Elizabeth is so great at her job.
2: 189.
1: You're so fast. (laughs) Two. You have to. She's not only the traveler's best friend, she's helping make this concept of selling baked goods and coffee so successful for us. Have a good day.
2: To me, being a Filipino and Irish family comes very important. You know, my daughter and my son and his two kids, they live with me. But I pay for everything, and it's, it's, I mean, I I love having them, you know, stay there. But honest to God, I would like to live on my own. You know, I have carpal tunnel, and I should have surgery. People keep saying, why don't you stay home? I don't have sick leave that I could stay home. You know, I'm diabetic, but, you know, I could work still.
1: I got it when I was a kid. I have this. Oh,
2: really? Mm. I've heard of that. that.
1: I was taking shots and Mm -hmm. this gives better control.
2: I hated shots, you know, I had so many on my tummy, but it's my normal life. I don't think I have it bad, I really don't.
1: Elizabeth has so many challenges and so much financial responsibility. She shouldn't have to choose between fixing a a medical issue for herself and taking care of her family. You're a very special person, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. I want to help you. You do? I do. I want you to get the surgery. I want you to get better. I'm going to pay for everything. And I'm going to make sure that you're paid full while the time you take to recover.
2: Oh, that's nice.
1: You take care of so many people. I want to make it easier for you. So for the next year, uh-huh. I'm going to pay your rent in full.
2: Really? Oh. I don't want to cry because I look ugly when I cry. but thank you so much you're so generous you didn't have to do this because I like what I'm doing I really do
1: so there is one more thing I, I want to do for you. you I want to give you twenty thousand dollars so that you have retirement you have trips
2: I don't even I've never seen that much money <gasps> twenty thousand.
0: So, you may be wondering why this matters to us, and there's a couple of reasons why I chose this clip. One is the woman's optimism and the hope that she has. That she just goes about this clip with optimism as she works with him as an employee who doesn't really know what he's doing. As she talks about her situation that she's in, the sicknesses she struggles with. That she chooses to live with optimism and hope. And the second reason is because of the aspect of the undercover boss, which we're going to see play out a little bit in our text today as Jesus goes undercover with some of his disciples. But I want to start with this clip to challenge us with the idea that we have a choice of how we will live. We have a choice of if we will live in fear or in hope. And I know sometimes it's easy to be fearful, Sometimes it's easy to look toward the future and have fear or anxiety. There is a lot going on around us in our world today. And perhaps things haven't gone how you had hoped they would go. I understand that feeling, I've been there myself, where you have expectations and things don't go the way that you think they should or that you hoped they would. In fact, I was thinking, just back this last November, my family and I took a trip up to Seattle for one of the family members who was having a baby shower. And that was the main purpose of the trip, but we're from Seattle, so we had a lot to do in a short weekend trip. We wanted to see my grandparents, we wanted to see my aunt and uncle, and we wanted to make it to this baby shower. And so on Saturday, we had seen my grandparents, we stopped by my aunt and uncle, and realized that the time we needed to get out to my brother's house, where the baby shower was, was tight. It was going to be a really tight trip. And so we hightailed it out there, and as we get closer, we're following the directions on our map and our GPS, and it takes us to this road And we need to cross this kind of valley. And as we get to the road, there are barricades up. And it says, road closed for flooding. And sure enough, you look forward and you can't even see the road. It's just covered in water. And we're like, oh, we are running late. We needed that road to be open. So we backtrack and go the next road. Sure enough, that road is closed as well. It's flooded as well. And so we're thinking, how are we going to get there? It's not going how we had planned, we're going to be late, and so we finally find the one road that's open across this valley, and it is bumper-to-bumper traffic backed up all the way across the valley, and it has just stopped. And so we get in line, and you can feel the anxiety rising as we realize that we're going to be late for this baby shower. The whole reason we came up to Seattle was for the baby shower, and yet we're going to be late because we're stuck in this traffic. Things didn't go how we wanted them to go, and yet, in that moment, we have a choice of how we will respond. We can choose to be optimistic, we can choose to handle it with grace, or we can choose to get angry, frustrated, anxious about what is going on. The reality is that we all have these times in our lives, these moments when life doesn't go the way that we hope, when we're faced with the choice of how we will respond. Will we live in fear or frustration, or will we choose to live in hope? And our text today shows us a beautiful story that takes two of the disciples from a time of living in disappointment and fear to a time of living with excitement and hope. So let's jump in and see what happens and what we can learn from it. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 24, we're going to be reading verses 13 through 35. So that's Luke 24, starting in verse 13. And you can follow along on the screen, while we'll the text up, or if you brought your Bible, I would encourage you to open it up and follow along. Starting in verse 13, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So we're going to pause there. Here we have these two disciples, and these weren't two of the twelve disciples, so they weren't two of the closest followers of Jesus, but they were part of that larger group of disciples. And later we'll see one of their names named, but we don't know who the other one is. But we do know that they were in Jerusalem for Passover, as all the proper Jews would have been celebrating Passover, and now they're traveling home to their city of Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking the seven-mile journey, and they probably stayed in Jerusalem longer than they anticipated they would with all that went on. With Jesus, who was their Messiah, their leader at the time, being arrested and being crucified, they stayed until Sunday. And so here they are traveling home after the Passover feast, after Jesus' death and crucifixion has occurred, and they're processing all that's happened they're talking with one another about what's occurred. And as they're doing this, as they're journeying along, talking about the issues on their heart with Jesus' death, Jesus walks up alongside them and joins them. And yet they don't recognize it's Jesus. And you wonder, is that because Jesus looks so different as he's resurrected? As he has his resurrected body, does he look completely different? That's not what we see in the text. But what we see is that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus knew that it wasn't time to reveal himself to them yet. And so we see God's power here as he makes it so they cannot recognize him. So they're prevented from seeing who Jesus is. And we may wonder, why would he do this? And perhaps it's because he wants to be able to hear their heart. He wants to be able to engage with them first in a way that wouldn't have been possible if they knew it was Jesus. Well, continuing in verse 17, he being Jesus said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all these things, it is now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. So, they're telling Jesus what they've been talking about. They're wondering how he does not know what has occurred. This would have been the talk of the town, what happened to Jesus. The crucifixion of the leader of a new movement would have definitely had a ripple effect as people would have been talking about it. And yet, as Jesus asked them what they're talking about, notice that says that they stood still, looking sad. You see, these followers of Jesus, these disciples of his, they're sad. They're despondent after Jesus' death because they believed that the Messiah was gone. They believed that Jesus was dead, that death had won. Notice, though, that in the text they don't even call him the Messiah. They've allowed their present circumstances to alter their belief of who Jesus is. Instead of calling him the Messiah, they refer to him as a prophet who is mighty in deed and word. In his death, I think that they doubted That he was indeed the Messiah. You see, they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was prophesied about that he would redeem Israel. And this redemption was one that was viewed from a standpoint of freedom from human oppression. We've talked before about how the Jews were living in oppression from Rome, that Rome was ruling over Jerusalem, and they had power over the Jews. They had control over the high priest, and when they used their different feast garments and the power that they had. And so the Jews had hoped for their Messiah to come and to free them in a military manner from Rome. Jesus comes, and Jesus does bring freedom. But the difference is Jesus brings freedom from sin freedom from death, freedom from hell. He's not as concerned with the oppression of the Romans over the Jews as he is about the freedom that he brings from sin, death, and hell. And even though this had been their hope, that Jesus was the Redeemer, that Jesus was the one that was prophesied about, it's now the third day. And they knew that Jesus had said he would rise on the third day. And so this to them is an indication that the promise has not been fulfilled. And I love that for Luke, the story isn't over. That the third day isn't one of sadness and defeat, but is one of redemption and life. And if you think about Scripture and think about the times in Scripture where we see the third day having an impact, where we see stuff happening on the third day, Isaac is delivered from Abraham's knife on the third day, Jonah finds himself in the whale for three days, the Lord comes down to meet his people on Mount Sinai on the third day. And Hosea proclaims that the Lord will raise Israel on the third day. These instances that point to what Jesus would do and fulfill on the third day. And maybe you're like me. As you read this text, you're wondering how these men miss the fact that the tomb is empty. They're sad and they're uh, grieving the loss of Jesus. And it's the third day and nothing has happened, and Yet you have this account from the women saying that the tomb was empty. And they even referenced that. They say some of the women went to the tomb and found it empty and shared that they had seen a vision of an angel. Which we've talked about how if you were to fake the resurrection of Jesus, if you were to be these disciples who followed Jesus, and your leader was crucified, and you wanted to keep the movement going, so you made up this story that he rose from the dead. How in this culture, you would not use women as your first eyewitnesses because they didn't have the same um, power as a man's testimony did. And I think we see that here in this text, the fact that these men have heard from the women that the tomb was empty and yet they're still sad. They're not believing what they've heard and the account that they've been told. They choose not to believe that the angel had spoke truth that the tomb is empty and that Jesus has risen. Even others go to the tomb and find it empty. But because him they do not see, they do not believe. So because they themselves did not see Jesus with their eyes, and they just heard reports of an empty tomb, they're still choosing to live in disbelief that the third day has come and that the promises have not been fulfilled. Instead of believing and having hope, they are living in grief and sadness rather than joy and excitement. And verse 24, which says, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. It's so funny how Luke uses this. There's such irony here in this statement that Cleopas cannot see that he's describing his unfulfilled hope to the one who fulfills hope, that here he is talking with the risen Jesus, describing how the promises haven't been fulfilled, how the prophecies weren't fulfilled, to the one who has fulfilled them. And yet, he can't see. Often this happens, and we see this in parables time and time again, that are told by Jesus, where those who think that they understand are actually lacking. And the same is true in this instance. And yet, Jesus seeks to move them from their blindness towards seeing the truth of who he is fulfilled in Scripture. Look at verse 25 and what Jesus says here. In verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus rightfully rebukes these two men. It may seem a little harsh because we live in an era where we are so sensitive about rebuking people. About telling anyone that they're wrong, because everybody's so sensitive in this day and age that how dare you tell me if I'm ever wrong? And yet we see Jesus model that here because they are wrong. They have chosen to ignore the prophecies that have foretold Jesus' death and resurrection. They've chosen to live in light of their current circumstances and what they think they see, rather than the truth and foundation of Scripture that they have been given. And so Jesus rebukes them for their lack of belief. And points them back to Scripture and back toward a proper understanding of Scripture. You see, that's when it's appropriate to rebuke our brothers and sisters in Christ, not with anger, animosity, but with love and kindness, pointing people back to Scripture. Our lives should be lived with Scripture as a foundation to who we are and to all that we do. And if our brother or our sister in the Lord are steering away from it, are veering off the path, it is appropriate to in love point them back to the truth of Scripture, to help them to realign their lives with the truth in Scripture. And that's what Christ does here. He doesn't just rebuke them and leave them on their own, but he rebukes them and then points them back to the Scriptures so that they don't forget, so that they don't lose hope in the fulfillment of the Scriptures. The ESV expository commentary suggests that Jesus reproves these two travelers. Their fundamental fault is that they do not trust the Scriptures. Their foolishness and slowness of heart represents a moral failing, for they should believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so Jesus reminds them, I think in a kind way, that is necessary for Christ to suffer these things and then to enter into his glory. It's a reminder for us too that suffering is part of the path of following Jesus. It was part of Jesus' path to suffer, and it's part of our path as well, that we will have to endure hardships, that we will have to fight against sin and flesh, but also we get to join with Jesus in his glory one day. And that is why when Christians pass from this life, that we celebrate that it's not the end, but it's the beginning of the most glorious part of our journey. Well, look at what Jesus does in verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I don't know about you, but I sure wish I would have been there for that, or I wish we had that written out in an account, because here you have Jesus taking these two disciples and starting from the beginning all the way through the prophets, he walks them through how the scriptures point to Jesus. What a beautiful time that must have been to walk through these Hebrew scriptures and to see the fulfillment of Christ from the scriptures. These two men still don't know who it is that they're speaking with, but perhaps they now have a better sense of the fact that Jesus' death does not have to equal the end. Well, we continue in verse 28. It tells us, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? What a beautiful scene we have here and the reminder for us to invite Jesus in. It tells us that Jesus was walking with them and as they got to the village, he acted as if he were going further. And I truly think that had they not invited him in, that Jesus would have kept going. I think he would have gone on to whoever he was going to go and make himself known to next. But at their strong urging, he comes inside with them to have a meal with them. And if they would have not invited Jesus in, I think that they would have missed out. I think they would have missed out on having their eyes opened in this instance. But instead, they go to dinner together, and as Jesus takes the bread, as he blesses it, and as he gives it to them, their eyes are open. Now, Jesus is not doing communion here. He's not administering the elements here. This would have been just a typical part of a meal. As they gathered together, take the bread to break it and bless it. But perhaps these disciples had heard what had happened in the upper room. Perhaps word was spreading. Maybe they'd even shared in some meals since the Last Supper where other people had done this as a sign of what Jesus had done during that Last Supper. Or maybe it's just that this is the moment Jesus chooses to reveal himself to them. But it's at this point that God opens up their eyes and they see who Jesus truly is. They see who it is in their midst. And yet he vanishes right away. That would be hard. It would be hard to have journeyed with him, not known who he was, and then the moment you recognize that that's Jesus, he's gone. But you see, I believe that Jesus' purpose with them had been accomplished. Jesus had been able to hear their pain. He had been able to share with them the scriptures pointing to himself, and he had confirmed his resurrection to them. That was the purpose of why he came to these two men on the road to Emmaus, And yet upon recognizing Jesus, they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us when he walked us through the scriptures? What a beautiful imagery that brings to mind our hearts burning with scripture. Does your heart burn when you go to the word? Do you feel Jesus rise within you when you go to prayer? If not, this is something that we should seek after, that our hearts would burn when we read through his living word that when we go to prayer before a holy God, that there would be a burning within our hearts. There would be an excitement as we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And if this is not the case, then we should ask the Lord that he would make it be so in our lives. We see it here in Scripture. We see it happen as they're walked through Scripture by Jesus. So we too can go and ask for that same feeling within us. Well, we see the conclusion of this story starting in verse 33. And they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here you have these two men. They've arrived in Emmaus in evening. They're having dinner and Jesus appears. And as soon as they realize it's Jesus, They can't hold that news. They can't wait to go and share the excitement with the other followers of Christ. So right away, they hightail it back to Jerusalem. Now, we're not talking about hopping in the car and driving seven miles. That wouldn't be that big of a deal. But we're talking about traveling these roads to and from Jerusalem at night, which was a dangerous time to travel. People tried not to travel at night because that's when you would come across people who would rob you. That's when you could uh, fall into these ill-begotten people. And yet, here they are, and they put aside in concern for their safety and they walk back to Jerusalem at night to go and to share the news. And as they find the 11 disciples and others who are gathered with them, the first thing they're told is that Jesus has appeared to Simon. That they know that he is risen because Peter has seen Jesus. And then they have an opportunity to share with the other disciples about how they too have experienced Jesus. How they walked with him on the road to Emmaus how he opened the scriptures to them and how they broke bread with with them and how in that moment they knew that this was Jesus. What a beautiful gift to be able to proclaim that they had been in the presence of the resurrected Jesus. Our text this morning gives us a picture of both what was happening to the followers of Jesus after his death and how Jesus encourages those who follow him to move forward after his resurrection. And for us today, You and me, we have the fortune of living this side of the resurrection. So we can learn from Jesus and his followers over the last 2,000 years of how to follow after him, of what it means to live this side of the resurrection. We can read these stories of the two travelers on the road to Emmaus and glean from them the truth of who Jesus is, the truth that he rose from the dead, and that we have eyewitness accounts to his resurrection. But I believe that this text encourages us. And I believe that in this text, God calls us to have faith. We see that when the disciples don't have faith in the word of God, that Jesus rebukes them and sets them right. He places them on a path of faith in his word. And this should cause us to pause. It should cause us to evaluate our own faith. You see, God has spoken through his word that he's given to us yet often. We neglect his word, or we neglect to believe what he says. Perhaps we don't say this out loud, but we sometimes show it by how we live. You see, if we have faith in Jesus, if we have faith in his word, it should lead to changed lives. It should lead to our faith being lived out in our works. Our faith should produce works. Just look at what James 2.18 says. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There was once a Scotsman who rowed people across a river, and on one oar of his boat, he had the word faith, and on the other oar, he had carved the word works. One day, as he was rowing, one of his passengers noticed the carvings and asked him why he had carved those words on his oars. The Scotsman didn't reply at all, but he pulled in the oar marked works and started rowing with only the one marked faith. And the boat just went around and around in circles as he rowed with one oar. He pulled that row out and placed the other one in, and as he rowed with that one, the boat went around and around in circles in the opposite direction. He then rowed with both oars and reached the other bank safely. Before his passenger got off the boat, he said, a Christian must row his life. Using both oars, faith and works. Only then will he reach heaven's shore. You see, it's not that salvation is achieved by works. We don't believe that our salvation comes about by works, but when we have faith in Jesus and we receive salvation, the result of that outpouring in our lives, the result of that salvation we experience, should be works. We are not saved by works, but we are saved to do works through our faith and Jesus calls us to faith and this faith should have implications in our life that lead to action and lead to a faith lived out and when we struggle we must echo the words that are found in mark chapter 9:24 i believe help my unbelief and seek that the lord would raise us up to be men and women who believe deeply in who he is and that that belief would lead us to action And part of that belief, I believe, is a trust in the Scripture. It's having a faith in the Scriptures, in the Word of God. You see, these disciples on the road to Emmaus were disappointed that Jesus hadn't redeemed Israel how they had hoped. And perhaps you find yourself feeling disappointed sometimes too. Maybe Jesus hasn't shown up or moved in your life how you thought. Maybe you heard about coming to faith in Jesus and thought that when you accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that your life would just be great, that you would have everything set up exactly how you had hoped and dreamed it would be. But maybe you didn't get the job that you hoped for, or maybe your housing situation isn't what you want, or maybe you're in the midst of broken relationships right now and dealing with hurt and frustration, or maybe life is just hard. Just because we follow Jesus does not mean that our life will go easy, that everything will be given to us as we perhaps hope it will be. And the issue for the disciples here is that their trust was not placed in its proper place. Their trust and their hope was in Israel's redemption rather than the person of Christ. And so as we seek to trust the scriptures, part of that is placing our trust solely upon Jesus Christ as revealed In scripture. And when we do this, when we trust his word, I believe that we'll be all focused not on how we think Jesus should have shown up in our lives, but on the grander vision, the kingdom vision, and thus we can become a part of what he is doing and what he is inviting us into. Last thing I think that this scripture tells us is that we are to live with our eyes opened. The disciples weren't fully aware of Jesus in their presence. And in all fairness, he hadn't been revealed to them yet. They were kept from seeing who it was they were walking with. But you and I have the fortune that we see Jesus revealed in Scripture. We have seen him revealed through Scripture. We've seen him revealed through creation, in the church, in our lives, through the Holy Spirit's presence amongst us. And so we must seek to be those who live with eyes open being aware of who Jesus is, being aware of how he is at work in our church and in our midst and our lives. Don't sell short the spirituality of our lives, but seek to live seeking Jesus with your eyes opened to all that he is doing, with your eyes fixed upon him as your Lord and Savior. And you may wonder what this would look like to live with your eyes opened to Jesus, what it would look like to truly live in that manner, well, I have one last video that I think illustrates well the difference of what it would look like to live with our eyes opened to Jesus. So go ahead and take a look.
3: Got these for you. Are they glasses? Yeah. You're kidding. The colorblind ones. No. Yeah. <laughs> They're so expensive. Put them on. You're kidding. Put them on. Are you serious? You guys can see this every day. I don't. I don't know if you guys understand, but I didn't know. Does the grass look green. Yeah. It's unreal. Stop making me cry. But it's it's color. Like I don't. Nobody understands how. I'll have to relearn my colors with the glasses. <laughs> yeah, what color you actually think? This is violet or purple, this is blue. I'm gonna say this is rose okay. red or pink, white and violet on the ends. Oh nice! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like? I can see colors. <laughs> <sighs> you like? This is unreal. I can't wait till you can see like a look how red the barn is. I know it's so <laughs> vibrant. <laughs> I haven't taken them off since. Now you're not gonna want to stop wearing them. <laughs> I wish you could put them on. I and... did, but it doesn't look like much different to me. No. The, <laughs> the barn is deliberately red right now and like m- bright. Oh yeah, and before it's gray. Really? Yeah. This side, at least. Look at your tie. It's pretty blue. I know. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> this is what you guys see every day. Yeah. Pretty awesome. My skin's actually dark. <laughs> You're not pale. You're kind of tan. <laughs> we won't lift my pant leg up. Do I it the sky. <laughs> it's pretty blue. I can fly an airplane with these.
2: Yeah, you can. Now you can get
3: your know. <laughs> The barrels are so much different. (laughs) These glasses didn't change you, though. You still look just as great. (laughs) Well, that's good.
0: He's colorblind and can't see colors, and yet these glasses, when he puts them on, give him the ability to see the colors that those who aren't colorblind get to see every day. I think when we choose to live without Jesus, without looking to Christ, it's as though we are living colorblind. We're not seeing the vibrancy of all that is around us, of who Jesus is and the ways in which he leads and impacts our lives, the joy that he brings and the hope that he brings. It's as if we're living without those glasses. Friends, what a gift that we have in Jesus. Yet if we fail to live looking for him, seeing him, we miss out on Jesus. We miss out on his role in creation, on his role in our church, his role in our lives, and we miss out on hope. So don't choose to go through life ignoring the vibrancy of Christ as he walks beside you. Live with eyes open to see Jesus and watch how he leads your life and how he gives you hope. And this is why we every month come to the table that is set before you, It's because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross in his death and his resurrection. It's because of the hope that he gives us when we look to him and when we live with eyes open to him. And so each and every month we come to this table to remember that hope. That hope that Jesus proclaimed before he was crucified.